don't know how these women walk around in these awesome heels and do all that they do. And they're just like, oh. you know, I have to stand on a slanted floor for two services, and I'm all like, oh, I'm hobbling. So that's not has nothing to do with the sermon. If you're wondering when it's coming, it's not coming. So something else is coming, but not the shoes. My wonderful husband took me to buy some new tennis shoes. And then he said, don't you think your message should be about the Lord? And you shouldn't worry about what shoes you're wearing. So I'm wearing my new tennis shoes <laughs> so I can focus on the Lord. Anyway, enough about me. I want to tell you a story about a lady. Her name was Minnie Weems Parker. I don't know where they came up with all that. But Minnie was in her 40s when she learned about the Holy Ghost. She had desperately wanted to receive this gift from God and been praying for quite a while. She was living during the Depression. She worked long hours on the family dairy farm and had a serious snuff habit. She had had previous habits that she had been able to overcome, but snuff was her last holdout, and it was serious business. God actually delivered her from snuff and a few other bad habits. I won't mention, even before he filled her with the Holy Ghost two years later. Her house was literally by the tracks. The railroad track ran right in front of her house. And during that time, there were lots of people that hopped the train to get around. They didn't have jobs, places to live, and they were called hobos. Because of her proximity to the tracks, she got lots of drop-ins, wanting a warm meal. She firmly believed that they should be fed after they chopped enough wood, and that as they ate, she would sit right beside them with her open Bible and preach to them the gospel message. So you only stopped at her house if you were really hungry. <laughs> but a lot of people did. Her front porch became known as the preaching spot for traveling preachers. Many of these preachers, which also hopped the train and went town to town because they had no means of transportation. So many people received the Holy Ghost at her front porch that other churches in town began losing members. It became a problem. And one night, the men from these other churches got together and came to burn her house down. While they stood with their torches, many came out and stood on the front porch and began to pray. A white dove flew out of the darkness and landed on the roof of the porch. And one by one, the men slowly walked away with their torches. Minnie was known for miles around as Sister Parker. One night, a man knocked on her door needing prayer for his baby who was dying. She had been in bed with a severe gallbladder attack, which happened frequently. And her husband said there was no way she would be able to travel in her condition. She got up. She was a very short lady, but she was very stout and very strong-willed. She got up and rode the man's mule out to his house while having a gallbladder attack and prayed. The baby was healed, and so was she. From that moment forward, she never had another gallbladder attack. Minnie faithfully shared the gospel and was a light to her community. You know, I forgot to hit my start. I guess it doesn't count then. <laughs> Whoops! Oh, well, I just gained a few minutes there. He's probably got his going, I guarantee you. 
he'll, he'll let me know when it's over. <laughs> Many faithfully shared the gospel and was a light to her community until she died in her early 90s. She lived to see her grandson, Joe Pittman, become a United Pentecostal pastor and carry on the ministry she so dearly loved. This is a great story. I love this story. I've, I grew up hearing lots of these stories because she was my great-grandmother. Um, hearing about someone's life that transformed so many others can leave us encouraged, excited, and full of the desire to see the, mirac- the miraculous in our own life. But how many times have you left a service so inspired? And by the time you got in your car and had to deal with traffic and feed the people in your family, inspiration is gone. <laughs> Excitement has been obliterate, obliterated, and you're not even really sure what was preached on church. <laughs> Like, where did it go, God, between here and there? And it just vanishes. How can we be so moved, inspired, and in that brief time, it just disappears? Paul warns us about this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, truth, not truth, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. The word ignore in this passage can also be interpreted as neglect, disregard, or pay no attention to, and sometimes indifferent. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore, neglect, disregard, pay no attention to, or or indifferent to this great salvation? The author of Hebrews is saying to the Hebrews that he's writing to that if there were consequences in the Old Testament when people didn't listen, when the law was delivered by angels, when angels brought instruction, how much more so will it be for those who do not listen to the word of God when Jesus himself delivered the message of salvation? Many of us here tonight have already responded to God's call in our life. We don't have a, a people not being able to get in the door and find a seat on a Sunday night. Many of us here are here because we feel God calling us to leadership, calling us to work in his kingdom. We've already repented. Many of us have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with his spirit. If you've not experienced this tonight, it really is for you, and it really is today. And as you obey God's word, he will fulfill his work in your life. That's why we're here. We believe that. But is it possible After we begin the process of obeying God's word, developing a relationship with him, we turn our life to Christ, we try to make him the center, and then things happen and we can still become indifferent to his word, to our relationship with him, and the things that he's planned for us. It is. It's very possible. It happens all the time. I don't know if any of you have ever had the thought, but I've had the thought before, Sunday night. Okay, 
When we moved here, I gave our wonderful pastor an earful because the church we were from front-loaded everything. You were at church for like four hours, Sunday school, church, everything, and then you're home. I was like, I have new news for Newark. Let's switch. (laughs) So, see, um, I was not at all viewing that from a spiritual or the needs of Newark point of view. I was viewing it from, look, this is easier. It's a lot of work up front. You can just go home and chill. It wasn't what's best for Newark, as it was so eloquently explained to me, with much grace and understanding. But we can all think more about what we want instead of what is best for the kingdom of God and all of us. I'm going to take just a minute and ask you about a house fire. Let's assume your family's out, your pets are out. What are the three things you would grab? You can only grab three things. Really quick, think. What are the three things I would grab if my house is on fire? I'm going to lose it all, but my family and my pets are safe. You don't just say it out loud, just really quick. Just think about it. I have a a little graph here that um, Brother Nick has helped me with. I think it's going to come up in just a minute. I really dumped it on him last minute. I mean, it was last minute. Like, y'all were starting to sing. I was like, man, can you please get this graph of it? So, it may take him a second to pull it up. But... I read an article about house fires and how people think they know what they're going to grab. And all those fires that went through California this last year. And articles on people and what they grabbed. And this one lady said, I grabbed the three stupidest things you could think of. She's like, I grabbed the candy dish off the coffee table. And I grabbed something else. And she said, I grabbed nothing I needed. She said, you're under so much stress in the moment that you just grab something in front of you, and you run. So the whole article was about make a list and memorize what you would grab in a house fire. So it may not pop up, and that is not A.V.'s fault if it doesn't. I'm going to read you a list from um, newsmail.com. The top 20 things people would like to grab from their house if they pre-think about it when they do the survey. Number one, wallet, purse, handbag. Number two, pets, which we eliminated them already. They're safe. Number three, iPhone, mobile phone, tablet. Number four, driver's license. Number five, photographs. Number six, cash. Number seven, laptop. Number eight, passport. Number nine, computer backup drive. Number 10, jewelry. Number 11, computer. Number 12, glasses. Number 13, certificate. I don't know what that means, but if you have an important certificate. Number 14, university degree. Number 15, clothing. Huh? Number 16, stamps, comics, and records. Number 17, shoes. Number 18, sunglasses. Number 19, musical instrument. And number 20, letters. So, there it is. Popped up. I know, right? Somebody's really, really, really looking for that red cross to come in and and manage something. I remember hearing conversations like this growing up among my parents, friends, talking to me, oh, man, what would you grab? And growing up in a very religious environment, I heard things like a Bible, baptismal records, um, letters, photos, wedding dress, but different family memorabilia. But on, in, in this survey, I was shocked to see how much has changed in the last few years, I think mainly due to technology. But as a culture, we view things differently, even from when... My parents were my age. 
Because most of the things we have, if we plant a little bit, they can be replaced pretty easy. Um, they can be stored in a cloud or kept in a safe, bank deposit box. So they don't hold the same value that maybe they once did when they were not easily replaceable. The, the wonderful thing about being able to replace things is we don't have to worry. We don't have to be quite as careful. But it appears that, oh, I'll give you an example really quick. Photos, okay? Oh, for the days when we don't have to do those little 35 millimeter and you get a whole stack developed and maybe two pictures work out, you know? When we only had two pictures that work out, many of us would put them in an album, throw them in a box, something. Now, they're all digital. I don't print out anything. I used to say, you know, if I knew I had good pictures, I'd print them out and put them in a frame. Now I have lots of good pictures. Lost on a laptop somewhere. My kids ask me, Mom, what did I look like this age? I was like, well, maybe there's a way the computer can tell us when we took this picture. Because I really don't know. They, the really good pictures just get lost in the mass of hundreds and hundreds of other pictures I have now. Because who needs to delete pictures? <laughs> I have a friend that just updated her tablet. And it took her husband two days to back it up because she had over 5,000 pictures on her tablet. Which ones are important? Which ones have value when you have so many? It appears that the more we have, the less we hold dear. God understood this and warned the Israelites of this in Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 18. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I have given you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. God is telling them to be careful. We live in a land of plenty. God has provided so much. For the Israelites, this new land provided access to more than they could even imagine. It was provided by God, but did, that, did God mean for them to consume it all at once? Did he give instructions to them, now I'm giving you all this, I want you to amass as much as possible. 
Build barns, fill them up. Hoard as much as you can in this land I'm sending you to. God has set a precedent of trust already in this story for provision through the manna that he had provided an enormous amount continually, but they were only to take what they needed and to continue to trust God for his provision. The only time in Scripture where instruction is given to amass a great amount is when there was warning and a preparation for a time of famine. We do see that in Scripture. Proverbs 13, 22 says, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. So I'm not saying don't save up, don't plan ahead. Scripture says good people will plan ahead and leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. Wisdom is encouraged in managing what we have and planning for our family's future, but hoarding much for ourselves is not encouraged. In Luke 12, 15 through 21, and I believe I did the KJV after I told Nick it was NLT, I apologize. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So, we see a precedent in Scripture to plan ahead, leave an inheritance for our children. But we also see a precedent in Scripture, do not hoard for yourself. What flows into us must flow out. We can keep what we need and even plan for the future, but it all must be God's to allow it to flow out where needed. You know, I have a bag, which usually means I need the person. But I'm going to be real careful about you because last time I had some really awesome people that can do things I cannot. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to look at this real careful. So I need someone. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not tipping the scales in my favor. But I need people that maybe aren't quite as competitive. How's that? So, I was thinking Sister Leela might help me, although she's competitive, but I thought she might give me a help. Come on, come on. Brother Art, is she competitive at all? Yeah, I thought so, yeah. So, come over here and just stand right here. So, I'm going to have Sister Leela hold some things. I'm going to start off with candy. Just represents the good things of God and some rubber bands. You know, the Lord helps us keep it all together. <laughs> and then, you know, I forgot a Bible. Does anybody have a Bible? I was running out of the house. Let's let her borrow his Bible. Thank you, Brother Scott. I greatly appreciate that. So we have the Word of God here. And then we have some things that just represent work. This is one of those little tag things, you know, that you got to have to get into the office. Um, 
thank you cards because we always have to say thank you to people, whether we want to or not. Uh, we have to clean our house. We got to have something to hold our cell phone because we're not supposed to talk while we drive. They will ticket you in this state. It's a bad deal. Toys because we got kids. Stickers for Christmas. We have holidays. Holidays come. We travel. There's a travel thing. Um, who likes a good game night? I like to play games. We should fellowship, right? We should have fellowship. You got to have snacks. And then we have to kind of, we have to have some pretty things. Don't work, don't try so hard now. We got to have, you can't use your elbows. This is your hands only, hands only. No elbows. No chins, no elbows. Hands only now, sister. We have to cook. Everybody's got to eat, grocery shop, and cook. Duck for president. This is the safest political book I could find. So, politics tend to get in that mix, whether we want it to or not. School, we got to do school. And then we have a lot of extracurricular oh. stuff that has to be taken care of, and it just keeps coming, and the Lord blesses us. Blesses us. Blesses us. Now, I'm going to come to Sister Lil, and I really feel in my spirit that she is a word from the Lord to speak to our congregation. Can you hold this, please? And share a testimony of what God has done for you. I need you to hold it in your hands. No, 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 no. Those aren't hands. She is impressive. Doesn't she have it all together? Would you like her to hold the things that are special in your life right now? Does anybody have an infant they would like Sister Lil to hold? You want to share your baby? You want to share uh, something that's very precious and breakable right now that she could hold for you? Anybody? Would you like her to carry your money to your vehicle for you? No? You can just dump it all on the platform. Thank you, Sister Leela. She did a very good job. This amass of things in our hands is why I believe we can hear the testimonies of others. We can be inspired, and then it slips away because it's hard to hold on to things when our hands are full. We have so much Distractions abound, and the important things that should be valued can easily become neglected and ignored because our way of life has changed. It's hard to enjoy what you have when you have too much, and it's hard to hold on to the things that are important when your hands are too full. We've discussed this a lot this year, talking about Sabbath. It's hard to sit down and listen to the Lord when our schedules are too full and we've spent time weeding out our schedules and making time for the Lord. As a child, I heard it said, no one wants to work hard or wait for good things. 
I hear my grandparents say this. Oh, ever since the microwave was invented, all these kids think everything should just happen just like this. And I believe it's true. But I also think we've morphed from the microwave generation to the, oh, it can be replaced generation. Not a big deal. I'm, a, I'm, I'm terrible. If you ever come to my house, I told you, don't worry about your kids if they break something. Most of it's from Goodwill or Greg's letter. It can be replaced. It's not a big deal. And it's true. But spiritually, we can't have a, meh, it can be replaced mentality. We not only know it's true, but we are constantly led to believe this. The voices of our society say that we should replace our possessions according to the going fad. We should replace our views and beliefs with what is politically correct. We should replace our job. If we don't feel valued, go get another job. We should replace our home if we can get a better loan. We should replace, we can possibly, if you're in the mood, replace your spouse. Someone better comes along. And now you can even replace body parts if they're not to our liking. It goes on and on and on. And when things are so easily replaced, their value sinks lower and lower and lower. I believe that it's unintentional, but this thinking begins to invade our walk with God. Other voices begin to seem like, that's a pretty valid replacement for the Word of God. I really felt something when they said that. Might not line up with the Word of God, but it's pretty, pretty good. Feelings and emotions seems like a good substitute for worship, reverence, and honor. Sermons that help me believe in myself seem like an excellent replacement for sermons that help me really see myself. It would be easy to look at all this and say, it's harder for us today. We have so many more distractions than the believers before us. The world's worse than it was in my grandparents' and parents' time. It wasn't as hard for them. If I just lived in the good old days, it would be easier to have a relationship with God. Look, the good old days didn't have air conditioning, and I'm so sorry, but, but it's hard to pray when you're that hot. <laughs> we may have all this entertainment distraction, but we're not having to get out and plow fields. I mean, I'm a complainer. If you put me in a church with no heat or air conditioner during those extremes, I'm at the front. Excuse me, what kind of offering do we need to take up <laughs> to get this problem solved? Talk about people thinking about money. He was preaching to me. I was like, oh, because I would be. I'd be like, excuse me, I think we can take an offer and get this air conditioner problem solved. <laughs> Jesus would not be at the center of it all for me right then. <laughs> but let's look back at Minnie Parker. The depression was in full swing. The distraction of her daily life involved making sure her 11 living children were clothed and fed help her, Jesus, that the cows got milked and enough milk was sold to provide food for the family to eat and the money for the bills to be paid. She had a constant interruption from people coming off the train. Lady, you got some food? Lady, can you help me? And these weren't people that are just out begging because they're making extra money on the side. These people were hungry. It was a depression. People didn't have jobs. She had religious persecution from those who didn't understand the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Prejudice and racism were an accepted norm 
And those who did reject those ideals received harassment. All these distractions came in the form of work, family, societal pressures, and sin. And we have the same distractions today. They just come in a different wrapping. Minnie battled these distractions daily. She didn't have a lot of education. And when she didn't understand a scripture, she couldn't Google it. So she would lay her Bible on the floor, kneel down, put her face in the pages, and pray as long as it took until God gave her understanding of the scripture. She carried her Bible in her pocket, and anytime she sat down, she pulled it out to read no matter who was around. It was the her, she developed the first mobile device. <laughs> the whole family knew if she actually sat down for a minute, out came the Bible, and she was reading it aloud to whoever would listen. Well, we all do that with our phone. Sit. <laughs> she had a mobile device. She spent time in prayer and served those around her. She crossed the racial separation in her community in Mississippi and preached about the Holy Ghost in African-American churches all throughout the area. Everyone was welcome at her door, and she would go into anyone's home and pray for them, no matter their race or social status. She grasped onto this salvation that was preached to her, and she worked hard to hold it tight in her grasp and let it change her. And in doing so, it changed all those around her. It changed the community, it changed social norms, and it changed the future of her family. You and I can do the same thing. We can grasp onto this gospel message that we've received and let it change us. We can be the difference in our community. As leaders, we can step out and be the difference. We can love the truth of God's word so strong that the voices around us cannot make us indifferent to it. We get to choose what's in our hands. We get to choose what's valuable. And when we make that conscious choice, then we don't have to become indifferent to the things that are valuable. We have to hold on to the salvation that was preached to us, just like the author of Hebrews said. Because the enemy will use everything in its power to maneuver you into neglecting your walk with God and the truth of his word. You have the people that my husband spoke about that were just blatant rejectors of truth and lovers of themselves and money. But... The enemy knows his chances of getting many of us to just reject Christ outright after we've already begun to walk with him are slim. But oh, the possibilities for distraction, indifference, neglecting, and replacement. If someone directly came to you and said, you need to exchange this gospel message for this other thing. Deny your salvation and walk away from God would probably say no, because none of us like that direct confrontation. But if ever so slowly you were asked, would you hold this? A little here, some there, maybe a, maybe a big important thing just to draw your attention away. And your arms get so full that it takes all your attention just to hold these things. Sister Leela couldn't get much accomplished. She could hold a lot of it. She was getting pretty creative. She was making me nervous. But she can't be accomplishing much else. She couldn't even open that Bible to read it with that much in her hands. What if accidentally your walk with God gets squished under the load and certain things just don't seem as valuable anymore? Maybe they're not as important. And they just kind of get 
dropped by the wayside without you even being aware. This year, God's calling us at Newark to unload our arms, to recenter what we're carrying, and to just spend time with Him. He wants us to refocus, to decide what we're holding, what is valuable. What's more important to us? What we value, what's valuable, or our volume in every aspect of life. He wants us to hear his voice and sit in the stillness with him and rest in his presence. He wants us to put our face in his word and let him speak to us, to let him replace what we have lost and replenish some things that have been dropped by the side of the road. If you'll stand with us together. Every one of us has things in our lives that we're holding. Sometimes we have a choice. Sometimes things are pushed on us. Sometimes there are situations that we don't know how we're going to deal with because we don't even know how they got there. It just happened in our life. It was an emergency or something. But then there's other things that we just tend to pick up. And, and my husband used to ask me, he's like, Rachel, why are you carrying this? Why are you, why is this stressing you out? And they'll be like, oh, because it's so important. And I'd say, really? that really important right now? Are these, are these salt and pepper shakers really that important? No, they are not that important. We have to value the things that cannot be broken by man. They cannot be taken from us. They cannot be pulled out of God's hands. We have to value those things. Yes, I like a nice house. I like having enough money to order pizza as many nights of the week as possible. And those are gifts from God. And many of the gifts from God, God gave the Israelites. He said, I'm giving you good things. Just don't hoard them. Let it flow. Keep what you need and share. Maybe I find something nice at the store. I can't get myself. I have to buy then I get home, the Lord's like, oh, you know, go give that to Sister Moss. I'm like, oh, oh. I tell my husband, oh, that's such a good reason for buying this. The Lord wanted me to buy it for Sister Moss. <laughs> I like to shop. It's a problem. But I like clearance, which helps. So you have to let it flow. Okay? The Lord's not saying don't do what you enjoy. Don't have fun. Don't enjoy my blessings. He's saying don't hoard them so that you can't carry what's valuable. Volume is not valuable. Valuable things can't easily be replaced. And the enemy wants us to pile up so much volume of busyness and things and stress and emergencies that I'm just going to sit the Bible down because that's really heavy. Just for a minute. Let's just sit the word of God. I'll come back to that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to care. I just, can't, I just can't take time for my brother and sister right now because I got all this, this other stuff going on. God wants us to just step back, put it all on the table, and let him say to us, this is valuable, pick it up. This is valuable, pick it up. Share the other things, and I will continue to provide. I will continue to give it to you as it flows through your hands. So let's pray together and ask God to help us go home and realize what needs to be broken. In the altar.